Welcome to Season 5 of the Basics of Life Conversations with Rob Salvato. So our system is under attack, our republic, our way of life, our values, but specifically the acknowledgement that we are who we are by providence because God has blessed our country and because we decided to follow his biblical advice on how a country should run, and that's what we established this framework upon. Because that's under attack, everything looking forward now is at great risk. And so that's that that got personal for me, especially, you know, I mentioned I have three kids and that's not the world that I want to leave them. So I believe that now is the time to stand or we won't have anything left to stand for. Today on the Basics of Life Conversations, my guest is Josiah O'Neill, actually in the studio with me. Josiah is running for Congress here in the 49th District. Josiah is a San Diego sheriff, and I have to say I love his heart for Jesus and the things that he stands for and his understanding of some of the real problems in our culture and his ideas to fix those problems. So Josiah is joining us for this bonus episode of the Basics of Life Conversations so you can get to know him and his story and hear his heart as he and his family are taking this huge step of faith to answer the call to serve the people of Southern California in Congress. And so now, here is my conversation with Josiah O'Neill. Well, welcome to the conversation, Josiah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you in studio and... uh, Jack Hibbs is a mutual friend of both mm. of ours. I think he's actually your pastor, and uh, I love Jack, and he just speaks so highly of you. So uh, he he's was very a, kind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great to have you here, and I'd love for our listeners just to kind of get to know you um, yep. as a person. So why don't you give us a little bit of your background? I know your parents were missionaries, but um, tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'd love to. So I was born in the States, um, actually in Nevada. And when I was three months old, my parents moved to Mexicali, Mexico, uh, to plant a church. So I spent the next, um, well, most of my early childhood and schooling was all in Mexico. Um, They planted several churches there. And after 10 or so years, they ended up moving to Ecuador, where they planted another church down in, in a city called Cuenca. And again, I was in school the whole time there, uh, Spanish, English, and I was there until I graduated. Now, I graduated early because I was going to a bilingual collegiate school down in South America. So I actually graduated when I was 15. And I left Ecuador, came back to the States to go to uh, the Calvary Chapel Bible College there in Marietta. Um, I didn't finish my time. I was only there for about a semester and a half. Actually, Funny but true story. I met my future wife at that time, and she didn't like me. So <laughs> she, uh, I think, I think her exact words were, "I'm, I'm not here for that," which probably wise, right? Um, and uh, around that time, you know, 9/11 had happened, and like a lot of guys, I ended up going off and joining the military. So I joined the army as a combat medic, went to Third Infantry Division, and uh, you know, went, went through basic out at Fort uh, Benning. And in, in you know no time at all, we, we deployed. So I was part of Operation Iraqi Freedom 3, which was um, sort of the beginning of some heavier conflict there. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of insurgencies uh, popping up at that time. There was also some historical events that occurred that year when we were there, like the first Iraqi national elections, which drew a lot of attention, and the trial of Saddam Hussein, which was assigned to the unit I was working. 
Um, so rough year, long deployment. Um, finished up my time, came back to the States, and um, actually maybe f- six months or so after I came back, I ended up reconnecting with Lindsay. I had uh, started going to a church in uh, downtown Denver, where I was at the time, and um, through mutual friends, she reaches out to me, and you know we start talking. And, and basically, I told her something to the effect of, you know, I'm not going to talk to you if you don't like me this time, because I, <laughs> <laughs> I still liked her, you know. Um, so we hit it off. Uh, this time, she said, well, I think I like you. So um, I ended up proposing three weeks later. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we, we didn't get married right away, but um, this year is 14 years married, and 14. we have three kids. How old are your kids? 10, 7, and 2. Oh, that's awesome. rambunctious, too, at that. That's great. Um, yeah, so the Lord's been good there. And then after the Army, you ended up going into uh, work for the San Diego Sheriff's Department. Is that correct? Uh, eventually. So first I first I went back to the Middle East. I did some support work for the State Department. We were doing rehabilitation and security missions there um, throughout southern Iraq. Okay. So I actually deployed back to the Middle East several times. And I came back because it's kind of hard to be married and live in Baghdad. Yeah. So uh, I first joined the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. And that was the beginning of a long, you know, over a decade career now in law enforcement. So I started in L.A., um, I had always still been interested in the, the large, you know, picture geopolitical issue. But, uh, and so I wanted to go back to the State Department stuff, but I didn't have a four-year degree. So I put myself through school at night while I was working. Okay. I transferred down to Oceanside Police Department right here in the 49th District uh, where I worked uh, patrol. I finally finished my degree and sort of waited then for an opportunity to join the State Department. So I left Oceanside and I went to the Diplomatic Security Service as a special agent. I got to the State Department uh, in time for um, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo when he was there. Okay. And um, I worked a variety of things there. My, my first assignment was the Los Angeles field office. So I worked uh, document integrity issues, national security stuff. I was then assigned as the rep for counterterrorism to um, um, a unit in, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and then eventually I promoted and went back to DC where I worked, um, other stuff in DC there. So I do get to San Diego eventually, um, a few years back, you know, you know, we, we, we make our plans, but the Lord directs our path. So, um, my, my dad had become ill and he passed away a couple years ago. It's kind of unexpected. My wife and I, we just reconsidered our priorities and family and what we were doing and where we were going. And I really felt the calling to come back. I wasn't sure why, but I, I got to tell you, I've never felt something stronger in my entire life. Mm-hmm. It was such a clear, like, you need to give this up and come home. So I actually called uh, Jack, who you mentioned, uh, Jack Hibbs, and, you know, I said, hey, my dad's not around. You know, I need some advice, and I kind of ran the whole concept by him. It was a big deal. I mean, I had just been promoted. I just went to D.C. I was working at a headquarters. My career was going great. We were about to go overseas to an assignment, and... Uh, and, uh, you know, he said, you know, well, you're never going to regret putting your family first. Mm-hmm. So one, if the Lord calls you to something, and two, what's your first ministry? It's, if not yeah. your wife and, and your kids. So that was enough. I, I hung up and went in the next day, resigned my commission to the Secretary of State, and we began looking for options. That's San Diego Sheriff's Department at the time um, was very gracious, hired me back as a lateral. So I was able to step in kind of where I left off in law enforcement here in California. And we've been back now for few years. All right. Yeah. What do you love about being a sheriff in San Diego? 
Oh, it's a, well, it's a great place to work. I mean, you know, it's, it's law enforcement is an, an interesting, uh, draw for people, right? I mean, when, when a lot of young people think they want to, they want to be a cop, they want to join law enforcement. Yeah. There's a, there's a duality to that desire because, you know, we want to keep the streets safe, but also when you're young, you're like, well, you want to get into the action. You want to see <laughs> stuff. So, you know, California always keeps you on your toes. It's yeah. very busy. And unfortunately for those of us who live here, crime is completely out of control. So there's, right. there's no shortage of work if, uh, you know, from, from that perspective. On another perspective, there are a lot of folks out here who support us, and um, it's just a really neat place to work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one of the things I love to do whenever I see someone in the sheriff's department or Oceanside PD, um, I'll always <clears throat> have them stop, you know, roll down their window, and I just give them a, hey, I just want you to know we really appreciate, you know, what you guys are doing, and just want you to know That's that. That's great. Yeah, and it's so funny because sometimes they just look at, they always say, they always say thanks so much, but they'll look at me first like with this stunned look on their face because I think, you know, especially in these recent years, yeah. it's been hard. It's been hard for you guys. Um, just to drill down on that a little bit, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges right now for law enforcement? Uh, well, again, there's probably multiple variables to that question. I don't think yeah. it's one thing necessarily. Right. Um, certainly part of that is bad policies, which we'll, you know, we'll get into. That's why yeah. I'm now running for Congress. Right. Um, but there are other variables. So, so one, uh, I guess they're all connected. But one, the job is already really hard to do, right? It's a job where you go to work every day and you don't know what to expect. It's everything from running through a door for a baby who's not breathing to a domestic violence call where someone has been stabbed to a murder scene. Uh, you never really know um, what you're going to get into, right? Yeah. And you always carry this sort of expectation of risking your life. Now, does that happen every day? No, it doesn't. But it certainly happens more often than, you know, your your local baker because it's, <laughs> it's just the job that we're in. Right. So um, it is a challenge already, just the job itself. Now, that challenge is augmented by a culture or at least a louder narrative within the culture that doesn't support what you're doing, right? It's very difficult to go out and be willing to risk your life every day, mm-hmm. but constantly be berated or belittled, to be called a racist, to be, you know, to be challenged and scrutinized by, you know, some guy on his couch watching YouTube. It's very, very difficult. One of the things that has always made our country great is that we did support our military and our law enforcement. And it sort of enables you to go forth and conquer and do those difficult things. So that that has become more of a challenge in recent years, definitely. Right. So then you come to this place where you are ready to kind of lay that aside to enter into um, running for Congress, which in, you know, in some ways is a, a, a another profession that <clears throat> people might look at, you know, with not the highest. I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A degree, a yeah, degree of appreciation. Um, so I'd love for you to just share what, what led you at this point in your life to want to make that step into, sure. into politics. Well, I think that it's really been my entire life that's led me there. Okay. Uh, the reason I say that is because you know, and this is especially true as a believer, where we know that God has a plan that supersedes ours, right? Yes. It's, it's why we pray, not our will, but your, your will, will be done. done. And, and that's so important because 
and though I've not lived, you know, a super long time, I've lived long enough and been in some really difficult situations, austere environments to learn that we're not in as much control as we really think we are. So it gives a whole new meaning to placing your trust in, in the Lord's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer that on what led me here, well, really being under the boot of bad political decisions for most of my adult life. I went into the Army when I was 17 years old, and I've either worn a uniform or carried a gun in some way or another mm-hmm. ever since that time, right? And I'll be 37 this year. So uh, it's, it's, it's something that has always been close to me. It's affected those closest to me. Uh, in every job that I've ever had. And we have a unique perspective in these positions that God has placed me in, whether it was uh, on the federal level, international crime level, in the military, Department of Defense, or in local law enforcement. We're sort of always at the brunt end of reality, right? And so being exposed to reality, and, and you know, as a pastor, you're often there counseling folks at their worst. And in law enforcement and military, it's, it's similar in that you don't always get to see people on their best day. That's not when people call 911. Right. So I've seen a very clear connection over the last 20 years between political decisions and how it affects people at the boots on the ground level. And it's only gotten worse and worse and worse, mm. especially in California. Yeah. So this year specifically, we have uh, rising crime rates that are completely out of control right? Smash and grabs. Fentanyl overdoses are up 800% right here in the district where Mm -hmm. uh, we are now. Um, Human trafficking. I mean, uh, gun violence. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You know, anybody can Google the statistics. In fact, Sandag here in San Diego uh, put out some statistics recently on crime that are staggering. So I think all of that combined, plus the fact that as a believer, we're connected to the roots of Western civilization. And what I mean by Western civilization, I, I mean Christian Judeo values because mm-hmm. the two are inexorable. Right. There is no Western civilization without Christendom, as Churchill put it. Now, um, that is also under complete attack, um, more than we've ever seen in, in, in our lifetime and probably several back. Right. So I believe uh, that there is hope but you know, I, to, to put it a different way, we're on the precipice of total destruction here. Not to, not to be such a downer, but that is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a movement throughout uh, both globally where we have enemies abroad, but we have an enemy within culturally uh, that is destroying the very core of everything that we are. So our system is under attack, our republic, our way of life, our values, but specifically the acknowledgement that we are who we are by providence because God has blessed our country and because we decided to follow his biblical advice on how a country should run, and that's what we established this framework upon, because that's under attack, everything looking forward now is at great risk. And so that that got personal for me, especially, you know, I mentioned I have three kids, and that's not the world that I want to leave them. So I believe that now is the time to stand, or we won't have anything left to stand for. Yeah. I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. But let me ask you this. Um, mm-hmm. As a congressman, what changes do you feel like you can make? Well, it's twofold. So one, we're going to take crime to Congress. Okay. Uh, that's a unique advantage uh, this year for me. Our number one polling issue by far is crime. Okay. It's, it's, it concerns the, the voters and the citizens, which I'm one of, yep. um, on both sides of the aisle. In fact, here in the 49th District, 
we are 35% Democrat, 34% Republican, and 30% uh, undecided. So it's a pretty even playing field. Yep. And by far, over 70% agree crime is the number one issue, okay. right? So this is an advantage that I have as, as a lifelong public servant, as a crime fighter, against, say, your, your average establishment professional politician. Mm-hmm. who's, in my opinion, so disconnected from reality, they're, right. they're just useless, right? And, and really, I don't have to say that because the proof is in the pudding. I mean, <laughs> what have they done here in the last 50 yeah. years, right? Right. right. So, so we can make an effect by taking crime to Congress and connecting the federal congressional crime connection to the local issues. So how do I say that specifically? So there is a thing called HIDA, which you know some some of my my uh, folks in law enforcement will be familiar with. It's an acronym. It stands for High Intensity Drug Trafficking Areas. Okay. There are 33 HIDAs across the United States, and the largest, most well funded, is right here, and mm-hmm. goes right through the heart of the 49th district. Now that's primarily because the port of entry at San Ysidro from San Diego to TJ right. is the largest land border crossing on planet Earth by far. And you have more narcotics, more human trafficking, more crime that crosses that border than any other place in the world. Hmm. So it's not just about, you know, uh, immigration or politicians want to distract you and whatnot. This is about crime and it's about public safety. So much of the issues within Haida areas are addressed by federal grant money, which have, obviously there's a federal angle there, right? So I, I don't feel from all my years in law enforcement and service, I don't feel that the U.S. House of Representatives have, has been very in the loop with mm. these local issues when really that's, that's what they should be doing, right? right. We, we have to connect this, the, the folks in D.C., our government, which is there to serve us, with the local communities and their issues on the ground. Now, originally, we were designed to do that because we weren't supposed to have professional lifelong politicians, right? We're supposed to have members of the community, public mm-hmm. servants, who step up for a while, go speak for the people, and then go back to life. Yeah. So um, right now, uh, that's exactly what we intend to do. And, and, and that's what we can do in Congress. Uh, the second point, and I think is equally as important, is that if we can break through the establishment wall, the old school way of doing things, I believe that we can start a fire that will spread all across California and then the United States. Because mm-hmm. what happens in California doesn't stay here. So what I'm talking about is revival, right? There's a spiritual side and there's a political side. As believers, um, our founding fathers were very invested in both the church and the government. Mm -hmm. And and for far too long, Christians have been told, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics. Uh, Don't get involved in your community, you know, keep it within the church. And I believe this is one of the greatest travesties of Mm -hmm. our time. Um, Christians of all people should be more involved in their politics and their local elections and their school boards and their councilmen and their congressmen. They should be more involved than anyone. Mm-hmm. Because what are we, if not the guardians of our Christian Judeo values and our right. way of life? Right. So th- those are two main ways that I yeah. believe as a congressman, I want to make a difference. You know, I think one of the, the things that really ties into what you're saying that, that Jesus said of us as a church is that we're called to be salt and light. And when we're thinking about being you know, the light of the world. And it's interesting because Jesus said first that he was the light of the world, but then he turned it around to his disciples and said, you're the light of the world in a city, you know, um, that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden. And then he said, you know, that you take your light and you don't hide it under a 
basket. You know, so we are meant to be out in the public, out in the arena, out where we can be seen and we can be heard. But I love even more the analogy of the salt, because in that culture, they use salt for several reasons. They use it as a medicinal um, element. They used it as a preserving element that they would pack mm -hmm. their meat in it. And they used it like we do as a flavor enhancing element. But the same thing is true of each one of those uses is the only way that the salt can have the effect is it has to permeate um, what it's being attached to. It has to permeate the meat in order to enhance the flavor. It has to permeate the fish or the meat in order to be that preserving element. It has to permeate um, the wound in order to have that uh, healing element. And the same thing I think is true of, of our lives. I agree wholeheartedly with you that we should be, Christians should be the most active in things like school board and city council and, you know, even like what you're doing. I think some are called to serve in that way. And then definitely voting and all of that is very, very important. But also I think it goes one step further and maybe this is the first and foremost thing is just our lives living and making a stand for righteousness and yeah. living righteous lives, living lives that are um, really going to be a difference in, in the community. So I think it's, um, you know, really, really commendable, um, you know, what you're seeking to do. And um, I would ask you this question, how, how do you see your faith um, playing into, you know, this, uh, you know, new venture and this, yeah. this calling and this sense of, you know, that you want to make a difference. How does your faith play into that? Yeah, it's a great question. And actually, this is a, this is a great answer for anyone in any job anywhere. Yeah. The wisdom of the scripture is unparalleled. There is nothing like the word of God anywhere. Right. right. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and what is that if not the right understanding of reality? of who we are, as that we are created, and uh, we have the truth of God's word, and that is the guiding um, lighthouse for your journey, for every decision that you make. So uh, listen, this goes as much for law enforcement, military, fire, uh, school teachers, I don't care what job you're in. The truth of the Bible transcends issues. It's applicable, it's living and breathing and useful for correction and teaching, and uh, it's, it's, it's there for, for us to use. So you don't have to necessarily be a Christian to benefit from the truth of God's word. Our sure. founders knew this, right? right? That's why they ensured that the atheist, as much as the Christian, had equal rights under the Constitution. Yeah. In fact, if you are anyone but a Christian, the best possible thing you could do is, is vote for Christian leaderships, yeah. right? If you're a member of the LGBT community, if you're, if you're a Muslim, if you're an atheist, if you're, I don't care what category of demographic of belief you're in, the best possible thing you could do for your life is vote for somebody with Christian Judeo values because it is those values and that framework that enabled freedom, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and, and we could go on and on and on. These are inalienable rights that we believe were bestowed upon us by God, and it wasn't the government that gave them. It was the government's job to make sure that we were protected in them. So the guiding principles found in the Scripture are useful for every possible decision. And, and look, I've already, I've already done this, and, and this is something that we learn to do continually. The wisdom of the, of the Bible 
helps you make a better decision always. It gives you an edge up. It's a thing called discernment, mm -hmm. right? And that through the Holy Spirit, we are guided to make wise decisions right. and decisions that are guided by love to benefit God's people and our country. Uh, it, it, there's just no possible way you could go wrong with that, right? I, I had a, uh, something I wanted to share too, um, because our founders actually recognize this as well. And this is a quote from James Madison. And um, it's, it's, it's very poignant to what we're saying now. And he said, ambition, avarice, personal animosity, party opposition, and many other motives not more laudable than these, Madison said, are apt to operate as well upon those who support as those who oppose the right side of a question. And he finished by saying, it takes a measure of humility to suggest that your own political camp is as prone to bad motives as the opposing camp. Mm. Now that is so timely for us today because I believe that as political parties have lost sight of why they're conservative, we're starting to see it deteriorate, right? Mm. The founders knew the only guard against ambition and avarice, the love of money, the love of power, the, the, um, uh, the, the fact that man's heart is prone to wander from God into selfishness and, right. and power and corruption. The founders knew that, and so they, they established these, these biblical principles to protect us from that. And so this is a problem we have now, because if you run into a, a person who says, well, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative, right? If they're not a believer, they at least need to understand why they are, right? Because right? I, I mentioned earlier, Western values and the Western world, that concept is inexorable from Christian Judeo right. core beliefs. Right. So if you abandon the Christian Judeo core beliefs, you find yourself unable to defend against the left's attacks, which are purely humanist That's and self-aggrandizing in, in nature, right? And, and really, what's the opposite of that? Where the, the biblical perspective is self-sacrifice, die to self, always consider others first. You're right. It's, it's all about uh, servant leadership, yeah. where the, the, the opposing side says, do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good. Do whatever makes you better. It, it, is it not like the beginning of, of the, the satanic Bible, Anton LaVey said, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Mm. And that, that sort of concept has just infiltrated yeah. our entire culture. Um, it, to that point, I mentioned policies that affect right, crime and things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, think, think about this in, in light of what we just said. We had, a, we had a proposition like Prop 47, which passed here in California back in 2014. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was a proposition that reduced the dollar value. So when you, when you committed a property crime, it used to be $450 was a felony. And it raised it to $950, right. which did not allow the cops to take people to jail anymore crazy. Up, up to that $950 value. The other thing it did, uh, and, and probably to greater detriment, was all hard narcotics, that's cocaine, fentanyl, heroin, crack, methamphetamine, they all became just a ticket, mm. a citation. Prior to Prop 47 in 2014, the possession of a, of a narcotic was uh, uh, a felony, and you would get arrested and you would be taken to jail. Now, the, the driving, uh, you know, there, there's many variables behind that. One was saving money. The left thought, well, we can, we can save millions of dollars by um, just not arresting people in the first place, and then we don't have to pay for it, right? It was very short-sighted. Mm -hmm. What they didn't realize is that that sort of self-worship of just let people do whatever they want, it's, it's the cop's fault, you know, always blaming the institution. Mm -hmm. it, it, uh, it led to the problems being worse uh, tenfold. They, 
they failed to see that narcotics use, for example, was behind the majority of all other crimes, hmm. right? Addiction is a real thing, both physically and mentally. Right. And when an addict cannot get the high that he needs, and he's burned his bridges at home and with his family and with his friends, he's going to take it. And that's why you have people going into stores. You have smash and grabs completely out of control. You have thefts. You have violent crimes. It all ties back to narcotics. Many of these individuals, which prior to 2014 would have been in prison, mm. but now they're out on the streets. And so we have these crazy high increases in crime rates uh, affecting the community. And um, it is directly politicians' fault. Hmm. Yeah. And you want to change that. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Josiah, how can people learn more about your campaign and how can they get involved? Um, you can always go to the website. It's O'Neillforcongress.com. Okay. O'Neillforcongress.com. We have our um, statements on there on issues, a uh, little bio about me, et cetera. And um, you can uh, follow us on Instagram, O'Neill for Congress on Instagram as well. We put a lot of content out on there. You can see videos of me talking, doing live events, et cetera. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, all the social media platforms. I always encourage people to jump on there because social media is shareable. Mm -hmm. So it's real easy to share with all your friends. And right. um, we, we need to get the word out that folks have an option here, right? right. Me as a voter, uh, this is one of the one of the many reasons I decided to run. Uh, I'm sick of what I was being offered. Right. Uh, there was nobody that I really cared to vote for. Yeah. So so often it was either it was like the lesser of two evils. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just and, and it's been that way for for years. You know. So it's actually my wife's fault. I'll, I'll blame it on her because I think one time, <laughs> you know, I've always been into politics and and I'm a big reader and I love history and I'm always talking about this and getting into disputes in my living room with people, and it was one of these days my wife goes. Well, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And I just kind of looked at her like, well, what do you mean? You know, we're just, we're talking. She goes, no, what are you going to do about it? So this is what we're doing about it. Yeah, yeah. we're we're stepping up. I, I'm not a politician. I'm, I'm not as polished as some of the folks you might see. I certainly don't have the self-funding that some of these folks have. It costs a lot of money to run uh, a race. I, I've, I've learned that in, in the last few weeks here, uh, definitely. Um, but the people, though have a chance to have a voice. And that's really our goal is to give a voice to the voiceless. Right. Love it. We, we want to stand up and connect the government that's supposed to serve the people back with the local communities. And um, that, I believe, w will be inspirational. Because if we can knock down one establishment wall here, like I, like I mentioned before, that can spread. We want to inspire other people, other believers, other people who love their country to stand up and get involved, run for office, um, and make a difference. Because look, the, the, the opposition is doing just that, make mm -hmm. no mistake, Yeah. right? They, they are all in devoted to the worship of government and their leftist Marxist ideologies. Yep. And let's just call, call it what it is. Marxism is on the rise in this country mm -hmm. and their policies are inherently and by definition anti-God. Yep. In order to destroy a capitalist Western country, you have to get rid of the influence of God and culture. So listen, I, I was with a guy, uh, Joseph Bondarenko. He's a 85-year-old um, Soviet gulag survivor. Um, he was once likened to the Billy Graham of the Soviet Union. Okay. He spent uh, over 10 years in a Soviet prison for refusing to deny his belief in God. First time in 1967 when he was brought in before the Soviets and they said, if you just deny God, 
you're done. We'll let you, we'll let you go. And he refused and he was taken to a gulag. Um, I was able to speak with him a few weeks ago and I'm talking to him through a translator. His daughter's there and uh, talk about timeliness. So he was Ukrainian born, but at the time it was in the Soviet Union. Right. Um, and he's, he's essentially telling me through a translator in Russian that uh, everything that happened in the Soviet Union is happening here now. Mm. He goes, it's not coming, it's happening now. Yeah. And I said, what's the one thing you could change if you could go back in a time machine, what would you do different? Without skipping a beat, he said, get the children. Mm. The left went after the kids in the Soviet Union first. And we've seen that, that's a leftist pattern throughout yeah. all of human history, right? They got the kids, they changed their mind, they turned them away from their elders and from their parents. The government became their god. Yeah. And that is happening here and we have to stand up and stop it. And like I said, everyone benefits from that. You don't, you don't have to be a Christian or agree with it to benefit from it. You know, you like Southern California and this little Disneyland you live in, you, it would do you well to, to, to acknowledge that five minutes across the Southern border, some of the most dangerous drug cartels in human history are fully operational. Mm. There's, there's five to 6,000 people without electricity and water yeah. right in in some of these communities scattered around the southern border so now is the time to do it um yeah and and if you guys uh you know want to check it out more obviously o'neillforcongress.com check us out on social media and uh and obviously too if you feel led we need financial support uh, my campaign people would be very upset if i didn't mention that <laughs> uh we we do we we need That's we great. need the financial support yeah. if if you feel led to to help donate there's a donate button on there um it costs uh, a, a tremendous amount of money just to, for, I don't know, for example, put a commercial in the LA media markets, like a million dollars. Wow. So it's, it's very difficult to get out there and get the word out there. Yeah. So the more of us that stand up and say no to the polished politicians, um, spread the word, tell people there's somebody out there that wants to go and fight for you. I've been fighting my whole life, whether it was in the military or law enforcement, I'm going to keep doing the same thing. I'm just trading my, you know, type of weapon out for a different one. Love um, it. yeah. And you That's can help great. us out there. That's great. Interesting that you mentioned market Marxism. We actually have a prophecy update coming up that'll air or that's going to happen right after this airs on the subject of the prophetic implications of socialism. That's gonna mm. be our subject uh, on that uh, prophecy update that we're gonna be doing here at the church. Um, Josiah, for another another thing for our listeners, how, how can they be praying for you right now? Uh, definitely for, for me and my wife as a family, okay. right? Um, if you ever decide to take a stand for, for any issue that the world is really a proponent of, there's going to be some spiritual warfare there. Sure, uh, it's exactly. undoubtedly. Um, so I would say pray for uh, just a peace and a calm for us to proceed. It's very easy for us to forget moment by moment that the Lord called you last week to do something. You were really sure of it. Yeah. And then, you know, two days goes by or things get hard and you're like, wait, are you sure? <laughs> right. um, so just, you know, as David always would say, you know, remember the works of old, that, that he would not forget what the Lord had done in his life. Uh, through many, many miracles. None of us are any different. It's very clear the Lord has preserved us and led us to a point. Um, even, you know, all this stuff I'm talking about, all, all the places I've been, the places that I've worked, it all kind of culminates to being perfectly suited for the district right. that I'm running in. Yeah. And I could have had no control over that 15 years yeah. ago. So pray for that, uh, that reminder for my wife and I that the difficulty is not a sign to abandon. Uh, we believe the Lord called us to this, and we're gonna we're gonna march forward until the Lord closes that door and nothing else. 
So it's easy to stress out on, you know, the finances and raising enough money and et cetera. But um, we, we knew this going into it, that this was going to be a battle. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's equally uh, a battle with any of these issues like the pro-life movement mm-hmm. or, you know, you talk about your kids. These are strongholds the enemy right. does not want to exactly. let go. Exactly. So, and uh, Congress is no different. I mean, you have the potential to be very influential. So, Okay. Yeah. All right. Praying for that strength and clarity in the midst of the spiritual warfare and just even for, for protection and um, just in knowing a little bit about you and hearing your story, I, I can't think of somebody better to serve uh, this district. So thank you so much for, um, you know, what you're seeking to do. And I have one last question, though, before we go. And, I, and uh, I'm sure you probably thought of this, but maybe not. Maybe you're not going to like me asking this question. But I know you're in it to win it. But I want to just ask, how does your life change if you, you know, or, or your thoughts mentality if you don't get elected? <clears throat> um. Well, the whole venture is a great uh, sacrifice. Yeah, um, it's a cost because I was working full time, and I had to step out to run. And obviously, taking time away from work is difficult. And, and you know, I'm glad you asked that because this is an issue for all sort of middle class blue collar folks that want to get yeah. involved. I mean, there's a reason why you see old rich white guys running mm-hmm. for office, right? Or old rich white guys that support other people to do it. <laughs> Uh, the reason is because it is very difficult. Yeah. It costs a lot of money, and it comes at a, at a great risk to whatever you have in your comfort zone. I mean, mm. uh, you know, going forward, I have um, my career, you know, that I would leave. I mean, if, if I'm elected, I will leave, and I will, uh, you know, fully devote myself to Congress, which is two years. Right. And then you have to do it again. Right. So it really is a life calling to step up and be involved. Huh. And, and fight for something you think is worth fighting for. But in the wake of that is, uh, it takes a lot of trust to say, Lord, all right, I'm gonna trust you with, you know, your, 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 your finances and your pension, your career, all of that stuff. You just have to kind of drive forward. So it does come at a great cost, um, definitely. But uh, we know there's purpose in it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is a huge step of faith that Josiah mm-hmm. and his family are, are making. And I just really would encourage everybody listening to this to um, please, you know, keep him in prayer. Um, he has the background to know what's going on here in, in this district and here in San Diego. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, um, I love, I, I, I personally am always drawn when it comes to politics, to the the person who is not the politician, mm-hmm. and so Me too. right away <laughs> when I heard you know that you were doing this in your background, I was like, okay, I got to meet this guy because um, those tip you know, tend to be the type of people I like because I think that they you have a better reality, you know, and it's almost like I, I think of you know we're recording this right now as the war is going on in Ukraine and. Mm. You know, for so many people, it's like out of sight, out of mind. And I and I, I hate when I see people who are, you know, thousands of miles away trying to speak into something and they have no idea what's going on. I have friends right now who are on the ground there and they are serving and they are working and they're crossing the border and they're bringing aid. And, you know, those are the guys that I want to talk to and hear from about, you know, their perspective on what's going on. And so... You know, to hear your perspective and to hear, you know, that you have a pulse on what's happening here and what the needs are here and that you want to fight that and battle that, 
Um, I'm hoping and praying that the Lord puts you in that that role and uh, that he brings some great people alongside of you and and maybe uses you to help fire up some others to mm. um, you know help make a, a difference here because you know we are in this state of you know just seeing things deteriorate at a fast you know pace. And you know we do know in a lot of ways that um, you know that is sort of, Part of the prophetic picture that you know, in leading up to the coming of the Lord, and I believe that we are living in the last days. That things are going to get worse, not better. But that doesn't mean that we stop fighting. That doesn't right. mean that we stop trying to, you know, make a difference. And we have to do that until the Lord, you know, gets us out of here. Because I remember when I was in high school, my dad, you know, who was a firm believer and thought Jesus is coming back. And he said, you're not going to graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Well, I graduated in 1982. So here we are. And, um, you know, we don't know how long. Mm-hmm. I mean, the you know, Second Peter 3 tells us that the Lord is long-suffering. Yeah. You know, he's waiting because he doesn't want to see people perish. He's waiting because he he's looking and longing for more people to give their lives to him. So, you know, no one knows. Jesus said that the day or the hour. No one knows how much right. time that we yeah. have left. And so in the meantime, we're called to be redeeming the time. We're called to be using and making the most of the opportunities that we have. So I want to just thank you already for your service in the military, your service in law enforcement, and hopefully your service in Congress. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. Thank you for listening to Season 5 of the Basics of Life Conversations with Rob Salvato. If you'd like access to more Christ-centered content, you can go to goodlion.io, also known as the Good Lion Podcast Network. And if you enjoyed this conversation, we would love it if you shared it with a friend, left us a review, or a rating. Otherwise, we'll see you next time here on the Basics of Life Conversations.